John wrote the gospel according to John, and he also wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. I don't know if you know this, but John is the guy that, that many would refer to as the apostle of love. And I don't know if we've ever given a thought, why is he called the apostle of love? He was one of the, the 12 apostles, the original 12, and it's, it's disputed and agreed upon by some that he did write, in fact, First uh, John, Second John, and Third John. That it was written by him, but he he sometimes speaks in the third person of himself. It never tells us that it is him, but he uses um, these words. For instance, in John thirteen verses twenty three, one of them he writes, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. In John nineteen twenty six, he says, when Jesus saw his mother there, the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, and John twenty two. 20 verse 2, he says, so he came running to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said. Um, so he talks about himself, and that says that he doesn't say, I'm talking about myself. Does that sort of take away from it? In John 21, he says it again, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter. And if you read this at a surface level, you just read through it and you don't give it enough thought. You could think that this disciple really wanted to have the position of being loved by Jesus. And really sort of in an arrogant way, talks about himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, implying that the other 12 was not as loved as he, other 11, 12 minus one. Yeah. It's talking about, it's talking about himself. So if you don't read this well, you don't understand that he's talking not just um, accidentally or from a uh, childish characteristic about the fact that he is the loved disciple, thinking that to be something. But he is speaking that sentence from a very profound revelation of what it means. And all of us as Christians in this room and online, I saw some guy from Portugal, Portugal, Port, Port, Portugal, and a couple of people from Netherlands, you Netherlands guys and girls, keep on working that side. Help us build that thing out. Let's see what God can do in the Netherlands. And then one guy from Ethiopia, we're praying for you. Um, so welcome online. But wherever you're at, we as Christians should lean into this understanding that, that John had. I mean, John says, the disciple whom the Lord loved. It's not just something that is ascribed to him. It, it comes from a very profound revelation of the love of God. So we call him the apostle of love. And he writes about dramatically and consistently through all his letters about the love of God. I mean, John 3, 16, is that not the well-known verse that says, for God so loved the earth. And so John's writings is anchored in this revelation of God's love. And for him, the profound characteristic of a Christian is that a Christian is loved. And so when he says the one whom he loved, is not, he's elevating the standout characteristic in a Christian's life. It's not the Christian whom he made rich. It's not the person whom God blessed and healed. That's a thing that can happen at one point in your life, but it's an, it's an outflow of God's presence in your life. But the deep foundational revelation that I am a person that is loved by God, and this has certain implications. I mean, if, if we just make it normal and easy to understand, I love Chanel. I don't just like Chanel. 
I like me some Chanel. And, and my love for her had a dramatic and profound effect on the rest of my life. My love for her made me say many other no's. Much more than my like. Because I like many things, but because I like things, it doesn't mean I say yes to that thing. But my love for her had an effect on where I stay, where I go out at night, how I do general life. Every decision I make is now limited or influenced by my love for her. So when he elevates that, he is, he is elevating the thing that is now affecting all aspects of his life. He says the disciple whom he loved. Because if I was not loved by him, it would open up a, a, a wide array of other options that can't get me to the same place. This, this saying that I am a disciple that he loves makes me stand out in this characteristic that no one else can have except those that can testify of the same. So in this room, many times we see when we stand in front of somebody and, and we pray for someone and, and the gift of prophecy comes up. It's, it's very easy, but sometimes you see hurt and it's very easy to prophesy and say, I just want to remind you, I feel an unction to remind you that Jesus loves you. And for that person, you can easily see a breaking open of, of a hardness and a callousness in the heart because the person now hears that God loves them. But that shouldn't be something that somebody needs to remind you of. It should be a deep level of understanding in your heart that you are loved by God. And if you understand that, it has profound implications in how you live life. So every single person in this room is loved by God. And if then so, we should pay attention to this apostle of love because he's writing what these implications may mean for you. It's much more to be loved by God than to be empowered only. I empower employees, but I don't base my life decisions on employees. I mean, a servant that I appoint uh, as, as an employee, that guy works for me. And if he leaves, it has no effect on my life. But if my wife were to leave, it affects everything. And we sometimes see our relationship with God as a servant-master relationship, not a child-father relationship, because a master-servant relationship is based on a contract rather than an understanding. Everything changes when it's my children versus my employees. My children has a very different attention from me than my employees would have. And so when we have this revelation of that we are loved by God, it changes so much for us. But it's so easy to believe that God, God is distant. And does he even love me because I am not worthy to be loved? Your heart very often disqualifies you. You disqualify yourself based on your heart's testimony in your internal workings. That you, are, you cannot be loved by God. So this apostle begins and he says, the disciple. So for that reason he writes. And he writes in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, for God so, how much, loved the world that he gave. When you love something, there is a manifestation, an outworking, an expression is a better word. Love is not just something you say, it is something that is expressed. 
if I'm not mistaken, love, agape, uh, has a verb to it, which means that it is a work word. It's a word that is, is active. So love is not just something that you express by saying it. It is a, a thing that is expressed by doing. So love is revealed by its expression. So if God so loved the world, but stayed stationary, we could question his love. If God remained absent, we could question God's love. So how do we know how much God loved the world? It is found in his expression thereof. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God's love finds his expression that you should have eternal life. Now, if God says, I loved you, we can measure that love by something. What is that something? Eternal life. So him loving you results in you having everlasting life. So somebody now on the earth has a brainwave and says, if God loves us, why, are, why, are, why is there so much hurt? Now, if you take that hurt, which is a thing that happens in a, in a moment in lifetime, that at the end of that life, there is still eternity. That measured against that, that would you rather have God take your poverty away and you die and it's over? That measures nothing in the uh, timeline of eternity. So, so God's love for you finds his expression that you don't die. I think that's quite profound that when God loves you, you live forever. That whoever would believe in him shall not die, but have everlasting, shall not perish, but have everlasting, everlasting. Your life will last forever. So when God looked at you and he said, I love you, he decided that you shall never die. That you shall have life and life in abundance forevermore. We know that pain and sin and loss and decay is on this side of your bodily death. But on the other side, you are set free from these things and you have eternity locked up in you. So God's love finds its expression in that you shall live forever in the presence of God. So, so John wants to elaborate on that. He says that in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. And so we should know that John wants to now talk to a believer about what love means. Now, very quickly, I want you to just go to Matthew chapter 24. Again, one of those books in the Bible. Matthew 24, Jesus is, is asked about when the days would end. When, it, when is the end of time? 24, I think we should read, just read from verses 9. Then they will de deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. This is, this is what will happen, is that you as a Christian will be hated. Now, when is the last days? What, I don't think it's confusing. I think we are living in the last days, but when we say last days, you can think, what, three years? years it's been 2,000 years it's still the last days because measured in eternity what's the last days and and in, in humanity's time span what is last days so he says in the last days and it, it continues he says and then many 
will be offended. Well, that's already there. And many will be offended. People are offended everywhere. So chapter 9, I don't know why this room is so quiet. Why are we so quiet on a Sunday morning? Sunday night, I can't get a word in. And they will, many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Will hate one another. What does that look like? I don't, I don't want to get into what's the opposite of love and hate. Well, love and hate feels to me like opposites. Hate one another. They, they will hate one another. I think that's how it feels today. You just, you can see it in the way we talk to each other on, on, in the roads and when we're in a shop and when we're at a rugby match and wherever people get together, there's always manifestations of hate and it feels like it's increasing the rate at which people kill one another. But imagine, imagine how people, you, you see some of these videos internationally in New York, a guy gets on a scooter, drives around in a scooter, just shoots people randomly. You have people going into schools and shoots people randomly. And you, you have people just stabbing one another randomly in, 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 in London. It's ridiculous. And it's as if there is no emotions to it. People shoot one another, turns around, feels nothing, walks away as if nothing happened. Nonchalantly doesn't care. This is what's happening in society. We've become so desensitized to things. And when we read it, we don't give it a second thought. We hear about murder everywhere. In Cape Town, in the Cape Flats, there's murder happening every single day. Nothing is changing. Our world is decaying. It says in verses 10, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because of lawlessness will abound the love of many. And, law, and because, verse 12, watch this, put it on the screen. And verse 12. And because lawlessness, lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Now, now, if love is not love without an expression. Okay, so, so I, I've tried to give you a definition, but I'll continue with this definition. We'll develop this definition of what love is. Because you, if I tell you, you are loved by God, what does that mean? What does that mean? If you say, if I say I love Chanel or Chanel loves me as, as her husband, what does that mean? We are, we are developing that definition. So in part, I've already given you a slight indication of what love means. Love is not love if there's not an expression attached to it. If love is not moved from just the verbal expression thereof to the action and deed that follows it, it is not love fulfilled. Right? So if we read that because of lawlessness, that will abound, the love of many will grow cold. In other words, the expression thereof will not be seen. So people will profess love, but there will not be a deed attached to it. But if I love you, there has to be a result to that love. So it says the love of many will grow cold. So if love is more than just words, it's found, it finds its expression in the deeds. So love has to be manifested. If it says the love of many will grow cold, we'll see it in the way that we express it amongst ourselves. Okay, I'm going somewhere. You have to pay attention. It has a profound effect because the Bible says in the love you have for one another, they will know that you are my disciples. Not in what you confess to one another. In what you do for one another. 
So that changes fundamentally how we behave as Christians. So if we don't get it, we miss. So we have one of the apostles, an apostle of love, dedicate most of his letters to this theme of love. And it begins to explain to us that God loved us, therefore did this. The did this part is connected to his love. The measure of his love is connected to the measure of what he did. If he did a little bit, then he loved us a little bit. But the profound price he paid expresses the profound volume. While he expresses it in the, the width, depth, height, and length. Yes. I'm trying to think of his So the profound volume of his love is expressed in the profound price he paid. And if he paid a profound price, surely there's a profound result in our lives. Can we concede to that? Because of lawlessness, lawlessness, lawlessness abounds. I don't like you, I shoot you. I get a guy to go buy a gun and shoot you and I give him 50,000 rand and I disappear. People die because of hits all over. A cash in transit van falls over. The community doesn't rush to help the shot person. They rush to loot the van. A Coca-Cola truck falls over. We don't help the driver. We steal the Coca-Cola. A car breaks down next to the highway. We hooted it for breaking down and then drive next to it. But we love you. All over the world, when I grew up as a child, we were taught stories of heroes. I was taught that if you see someone, you jump in there and you save them. And you question safety later. Now, when we see someone hurt, we try and, I love you, but I don't want to get hurt. Because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. We'll simply resort to professing it, not doing it. Because of lawlessness, the bound love will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. So this is Matthew writing and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached. He says the love of many will grow cold. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached into all the world as a witness to all nations, as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. So there is something in this kingdom that has to be different to the kingdom of darkness. There has to be something amongst us that is different to that of the world that will be a testimony to the world. But if you are thinking that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached into all the earth and a sign that the kingdom has come is you being rich, you're confused. That, I'm not just rich because God loves me. What, if that's the theology that we're teaching, everybody that's not rich in this room has to go like, so God doesn't love me. And that's why many can question, does God love me? This is why we're taking a fundamental Christian theology basis. What, do you, what, what can I call it? Fundamental belief system within Christianity that every person is loved by God. But then why are you wealthy and I'm not? So wealth is not an expression of God's love. So he loves you so much, he wants you to be poor because you're a better Christian when you're poor. That's not an expression of love. 
That's not what he, he doesn't say if God so loved you, everybody that he loves is going to be rich. He says, no, you'll have eternal life. And this is the thing. You came in naked and you're leaving naked. This is how God makes we all, we all is a word that I'm using. This is how God is making us, we all equal. You came here naked, you're leaving naked. Y'all, my bank account's full. You can't, spend, you can't take it with you. Your children's happy that it's full. And it's good. I'm not saying that money's bad. I'm telling you right now. Money is good. It's a resource. The love of money is evil. It's not money that's evil. Money is good. It helps a lot. Yeah. Money buys you time. It buys you space. It buys you a lot of things. It buys you McDonald's. Sometimes it buys you a problem. But this is not, God doesn't say, He says, you came naked, you go naked, from dust you are to dust you shall return, you go out naked. What you do have, rich or poor, is eternal life. Both of those you can have, because that's what love can buy. Okay? So, I don't know if I finished my story, but I'm moving on. He says, in the latter days, Timothy goes on. And 2 Timothy says, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. This is Timothy. He says it again in 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with hot iron. With a hot iron. The latter days, people are going to change radically. We see it. We see it. We see the fruits thereof now. People, people don't love. People hate. Now John's writings... I'm working towards John's writings. John's writings don't just issue a command to love. That he links the commandment of love to love one another with the very nature of God. He doesn't tell you. When God says, this new command I give you, love your, your neighbor as you love yourself. We know that in the, the Ten Commandments, it says, love the Lord your God with all the heart and all the understanding. Right? Love the Lord. Love the Lord. So if you love the Lord, it finds its expression. You don't love God by saying on Facebook, I love God. You love God by doing something. Love is expressed, right? So, so John is not trying to just tell us, listen, here is a command, like don't slander. Also love. He's, he's not trying to connect the commands here to try and reaffirm as a Christian, this is what you ought to do. Don't steal. Don't kill people. Um, don't lie, love people. He's not, he's not brushing over love as if it's just lumped in together with behaviors. He's trying very hard and succeeding at it, if you pay attention to the letters of John, to connect the commandment to love with the very nature of God. God's nature is love. I'll get to that. And therefore, when he tells you the Bible says, and as your poets have said, you are the offspring of God. You are made in his likeness. You are like God. How can you not then express love? 
by the very nature of God, if you are his offspring, surely it should be in you to love. It's impossible for you to be a Christian and not love. He goes as far as to question if you are saved, if you don't love. How can you say you, you are a child of God, but not have love in you? Because by virtue of being a child of God, it is your nature to love. So to not sin in, in the sense of do not lie, do not steal, do not cover, that's behaviors. To love is a nature of you. It is your DNA is to love. You can't be you in Christianity and not love. It's not, it's not something you choose to do on a Wednesday. It's something you are as a person in God. You love, you love, you love, you love. This profound emphasis on love is both a command and so it's a command. God commands you. This command I give you to love your neighbor. It's a command. It's a command. But in this command, it reflects the very character of God. So when you, when you, when love is expressed in the deed, you are reflecting God's character. Now, we're here now. I don't know if I'm already in trouble. We're here now. When we talk about the giving, a love offering, the giving part of the church, do you, how many of you know people that, that really has an issue with that? Everybody. Know somebody that has a problem with the church just wants your money. But you love God, yet you can't give. That's why God built that into the very DNA of how the church functions. The church does not function from a profit company. It functions on giving. This is done by giving of people. But there are people that has a problem with that because you, you love God, but you don't want to give God to God. But he built it into that what we do as a church in our expression cannot happen without giving, which is the nature. We'll give everything except our finances. Then what is your God then? I'll give you my time. I'll give you my wisdom. I'll give you my support. I'll clap for you. You just can't have my money. Why not? Because I work 60 hours a week for that and I only spend half an hour at church. I spend my entire life accumulating this, but I love Jesus much more than this because if I don't say that, I might not go to heaven. Jonas has a problem with this. Love isn't, I, love is not part of your Christian experience. It's the essence of your Christian experience. Love is the essence. So when I say I want to talk about love, people go, oh, talk about more radical stuff. Love is boring. If somebody, if I was sitting that side and somebody said I want to talk about love, I want to go like, oh, John 3, 16, yes. I'm trying to get you to understand that love is the essence of what we do and we have to understand how that is expressed and how that is, is it plays out in our daily lives and how that has profound consequences to who we are. It is our primary way, love is our, our primary way to reflect the nature and the character of God.
It's not in what it's. We don't reflect the character of God in this building. This building, although impressive, is far below par in terms of what the world's success has done. Burj Al Khalifa. If you look at that building in 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 Dubai, and you look at that thing, that monstrous, I can't word monstrous, monstrous building you got just in size, not in looks. That thing is beautiful. That thing is mind blowing. This doesn't come close to that. We can't express God's character in this, but then we fail. So if Christianity thought that we're going to express God by what we achieve financially, that's stupid. If we, we, we think that we're going to express God's profound involvement by filling a stadium, that's stupidity. Anyone can do that. What they can't do because they don't have it is express love like God. In, in all the religions around the world except Christianity, you are expected to kill someone to prove love. You're expected to hate and to scavenge and to do your own thing, to serve your God. Christianity is the only God that loves you so much He lives in you. He makes in your flawed state, blind as a bat, hard hearing, bold as they come. God says, I live inside of you. I make my house in you because I love you. You go, what me? God says, even if they reject you, I accept you. Ten lepers walk up to Jesus. With leprosy, you have to say, I'm coming. I'm coming. Leprous, leprous, leprous. So that whoever is in front of you can make way and get out of your way. Don't come close to me, you're leprous. Don't touch me, you're dirty. Don't touch me, you're, you're, ah, fingers are falling off. Jesus has come to me. And he heals them. He loves them in spite of how they look and how they appear. This is what sets us apart, is that you have love in you. It's not how we fill stadiums. It's not how full the pews are. It is that we express love. Is that we can express love. That's why he writes it. He writes John and he begins in John. He works his way through it to express and connect love with who God is. I'll end with this. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You can't tell me you love. And I'm not talking about finances. We need that. It's in this. This church will go on with or without your giving. The church has survived a world war. We can't go like it's a recession. The church will close down. No. During world wars, the church continued on. Don't worry about it. We'll continue on. The church will be there long, long after all of us are gone. The church will be there. The church will survive. But love is expressed in a different way. God loves us. And we are children of God because he loves us. The love of God for us has done something in us that changes who we are. So maybe I'll just say this. Love and like is not the same thing. I don't have to like something to love it. I don't have to like something to love it. People get a divorce because they don't like their wives anymore. It's not that they don't love them. I don't have to, this is, I'm not gonna use my wife because I do love and like her. You have to, you can, you can love what you don't like, but it's better to like what you love because it's easier. Like is a feeling. Love is a decision. For God so loved the world 
that he made the decision to send his only son. Love is a decision. A feeling changes. God didn't change his feeling over the years. He loves us. He loves us. It's a decision you make. So a decision to perform the action that is connected to that love. To express it is a decision. If I like something, I don't have to do it or can do it. I like ice cream, but I love God. I love my wife. I can go without ice cream for a week. A week, that's it. It's a decision. Love is a decision. And we get to choose to love God. That's why God says, love the Lord your God as if it's a switch. How can, if, it, if it's a feeling, how can God expect you to do it with your whole body, whole mind, your whole understanding? If it was a feeling, how can God command you to feel? How many of you can feel something for th something you just don't have a feeling for? But you can make a decision. God says, love me with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole understanding. Because you are making a decision to do that. And when you make the decision, there is a manifestation of that decision in the way you do things. The way you do things. I don't want to forgive. Because I love God, it is expected of me to forgive. So I make the decision. Although I don't feel it, I do it. So love has a result in my behavior. I'm going to prove it to you tonight. I've got a lot of scripture to read and to go through and help you understand that. Let me pray. Father, we love because you first loved us. You first loved us. We love now, not because we choose to, but we are unable to. We could not love you first because we were cut off from the essence of love. The source of love, which is God, had to love us first so that you can be in us so that we can respond by your essence, who you are, your nature. Your nature became ours and now we can love you back. It is a response of what you did on the cross. You first loved us and now we love you. We're enabled to love. Now we love our families. We love our neighbors. We love the world around us with the love of Christ to say that we care, we see you, and we want to help. Thank you that God, the love of God, let it be in this house. In Jesus' name, amen.